Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We are a movement of men pursuing faith, character, personal growth, and meaningful friendships. If you'd like to learn more about us and our mission to rebuild the American family one man at a time, please visit us at heartofaman.org. We hope you enjoy this lesson from our series called Genesis, Why Is It This Way? I remember being four years old, I had two older brothers and we, would, uh, our, we didn't have a dad. Uh, my mom wasn't living with us at the time. We lived in a city uh, south of Houston called Lake City, Texas and there was a county park across the road and my brothers were bigger than I was. They were two years older than I was and they would, they would run out the door all the time and I, all I wanted to do was be with them because I didn't have a dad so I just wanted to be with my brothers. And, uh, but they would do things that were hard and it would scare me. Like every time we left the door, it was climbing on something or doing something that just scared the heck out of me. And I lived most of my young years scared. And uh, I had to learn to overcome that fear to do everything. And uh, I feel that fear right now. That same fear of, wow, God, these men need to hear your voice. And uh, I'm chasing somebody. Can I do this? And uh, I know God's saying, I'll give you that same courage, Bill. I made you to be courageous. So, some of the guys that are here today came from Chicago. So my good friend Gilbert's here and Brian's here. Um, I've known Gilbert for 20 years now, and uh, I led a men's Bible study fellowship class up in Chicago. We started it with two guys, and when we reached our apex, we had 500 guys coming every Monday night to listen to hear God's word. And Gilbert uh, was in there when we were on the south side of Chicago. It was very white. And uh, I think Gilbert may have been one of two black guys in there. And uh, the great joy of that for me was when I said something that I thought was good, Gilbert made sure he knew that I knew it was good. So, and that helped me so much. I can't begin to tell you how much that helped me because I really sensed Gilbert was, he was with me. And we've built a lifelong friendship together now. And uh, obviously Gilbert, that's what's given me courage. I love you so much. <laughs> Gilbert would come to one of my plants every Friday night at 11 o'clock. He had a day job. He was a pharmacist. He was working hard. And at 11 o'clock at night, he would come to the third shift to help me deal with a black Hispanic issue that I couldn't figure out. I needed help. And I couldn't figure out why we were having these racial tensions. And Gilbert said, I'll come help you. And we had chaplains in all our plants, so he acted as a chaplain, but he was more of a friend. And he would just come help me sort through these things and pray over me and pray for me. And so I'm so happy that you're here, Gilbert. It just, just makes my heart so happy, so thank you. We've got Heart of a Man classes that we started here in India, and now they're started up in there because Gilbert's keeping them running. So uh, we still got God's word going out, you guys. It's truly an honor to be here with you guys and to have four different Bible studies from around Indianapolis come together and work together to put together a program is a dream we've had since we've been here. I came to Promise Keepers here 20 years ago. I don't know how long ago it was when it first came here. I brought two busloads of guys from Chicago to come to that Promise Keepers. Never did I dream I would be standing here, living here, and being with you, but we've had a dream when we walk around this city of seeing men all around Indianapolis studying the same scripture at the same time, loving Christ and coming together and raising up Christ, and then after doing that for two or three years, doing this and getting together just like we are right now and celebrating what God's done, not just hearing about what we should do, but know what we have been doing. And so this is that time, you guys, and we can do this more. God can do something with men like us united together around Christ in this city. This can be the city that changes America. We're that kind of men. So I get excited about that. I did own and operate a food manufacturing company called Packmore for 32 years. And we had three plants actually in two states with hundreds of employees operating production lines 24 hours a day. And one of the biggest challenges we had was getting people to work together. So all of you guys that run businesses, you know exactly where I'm going with this. The natural tendency of every single person, it seems like, is to work alone. Nobody wants to work together. Everybody wants to be autonomous. And it's incredibly difficult when you're running a manufacturing company with production lines that all need to be working together. So we had sales, HR, engineering, maintenance, quality, all of these groups needed to work together constantly all day long and they needed to be in communication with the customer and the unity of that team was absolutely integral to our success. 
We had to work on that. So my sole job, honestly, was to run around and build systems to get communication right, to build up people so that they would work together and listen to each other and collaborate, to build unity in the, in the body of our company. And that was my sole purpose. That's what I did, and I tried awfully hard. Sometimes I was good at it, sometimes I stunk. So when we were good at it, we really killed it. When I stunk at that, as a group, we just struggled. And I wanna tell you guys, over the last 60 years, our country has bought strongly into this idea that the individual should be that which we assign the highest value. The result of this worldview that we've adopted as a country is we've been able to eliminate, we've actively done this, we've eliminated these intimate working relationships between God, schools, the workplace, the media, the government, the church, and the family. They don't work together, they work independently. The decoupling of these very important entities has been harmful, incredibly harmful to American men and our families. So let me ask you this, how well would your family, how well would your family work if you disconnected God from all of the key areas of your life and you just worked in silos as a family. The focus of this retreat is to get prepared to thrive as Christian men. And so I'd like to share with you the answer I think Jesus has for one of the most significant headwinds we face in this culture. It's called the crisis of masculinity. I wanna start by presenting some data to you that highlights this crisis. And then I wanna share a short timeline that shows some of the causes of this problem. And then I want to frame that issue by sharing John 17, the prayer of Jesus Christ. Because I believe that prayer reveals God's corporate design. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the body of Christ working together in unity as one. And I'll end with suggestions on how we can apply this prayer of Jesus. My hope today is very simple. That you'll leave with a passion for God's word, your men's group, and your marriage. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as John prayed, I'm the messenger and I know it. I feel the weight of that, Lord. Help me just do what you've called me to do and carry your message. Lord, I pray, Father, I just don't get in the way. Whatever words I use, whatever I do, Lord, don't let it get in the way. Help your Holy Spirit supersede all that I say and do. Help guys say things I didn't say because they heard the Holy Spirit speak, Lord. And Father, I pray, too, that you'll just let these guys have time with you, that their phones won't pull them from you. Help them not be distracted, Father. Lord, keep us now, hold us, Lord. Protect us by the name you've given your son, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Dear, dear brothers, there is a masculinity crisis in America. So I wanna walk you through six areas of a man's life to make it more clear what experts are actually seeing. Now, I'm happy to share this slide deck with you. So just let us know. We'll send it out. Happy to share it with you. Don't feel like you got to copy numbers or take notes or anything. What I hope you'll do is just sit and listen and feel the weight of this, uh, this uh, uh, masculinity crisis. This first slide is going to talk about kind of two areas of the family, family and then pornography. In 1950, 80% of house households were married. Today, that's less than 49%. In 1950, the average age of marriage for men was 22. Now it's 30. Since 1990, the number of men over 40 in their first marriage has risen from 2% to 9%. 50% of boys with a mom under 30 are fatherless. This number just rips my heart out. 23% of our children don't have a father in their life. And this is even worse. 60% of black children have no dad. 85% of juvenile prisoners are fatherless. 71% of high school dropouts are fatherless. And 68% of Christian men view porn regularly. Think about that, guys. And this is even harder to read. 57% of pastors view porn on a regular basis and 5% are addicted. 28% of employees view porn one and a half hours a week at work per month. Now this is the key, the connection to the family. Marital infidelity increases by 300% when men use pornography. Pornography's tearing up our families, you guys. The average male watches porn two hours a week, and over 70% of men would cheat on their wife if they knew they wouldn't get caught. The state of men in a family situation is not good in America. Let's look at the next slide. Physically, 
men on average die at age 73. Their wives die six years later at age 79. 77% of suicides are men. This has gone up 43% since 1997. Men are twice as likely to become alcoholics or die of a drug overdose. 79% of men are overweight, resulting in higher diabetes and lower testosterone levels. I can tell you firsthand, we spent millions of dollars of healthcare in our companies. And the number one claim that we had to deal with was diabetes in overweight men. And it caused tremendous problems. There's been a 27% decrease in testosterone in men in the last 20 years. And most scientists think it's because of our overweight nature. Porn addiction is so bad with men right now that the scientists are seeing that men's brain chemistries are being transformed to look more like that of a drug addict. Let's look at the state of men educationally. There are two million more girls in college than men. Why would education matter? Because education is directly correlated to income and income directly affects men. For example, a guy that gradua uh, graduates with a graduate degree typically makes $100,000. Someone with no diploma makes about $18,000 a year. Direct correlation, education to income. Boys account for 70% of D's and F's in school where 75% of the top graduates are female. 36% of millennial women have a bachelor's degree compared to 28% of men. 56% of college students are women. And, and this number is growing, you guys. This data is just a little old. Wait till you see the new numbers. They're getting even worse. The, 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 there's a gap that's widening between men and women in schools. In urban areas, women are 50% more likely to graduate from college. Eight out of nine teachers are, are women. And now this is not a diss. Uh, there's nowhere in this talk where I'm, I'm, I'm causing a diss on women. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, there's a reality here. Eight out of nine teachers are women. There's created a bias in the education system towards girls. And it's hurting boys. Not intentionally. There's no intentionality behind this. It's just what's happening. And one of the statistics that shows you that is boys are three times more likely diagnosed with ADD and given drugs to manage their behavior in school. School is not going well for boys. Let's talk about our emotions. Gentlemen, we're lonely. We are. And whether you admit it or not, you probably are too. Men are lonely. 44% feel lonely most of the time. Loneliness scores are increasing with every generation of men that come along. Only 30% of men had a personal conversation with a friend this week. Think about that. Boys without fathers are behind in 70 measures of emotional health. So 23% of our boys have no father. And so 70, they're behind 70 areas of emotional health because they don't have a father that 400 plus mass shootings annually, and that's how many there are, you just don't hear about them. The 400 plus mass shootings annually are done by men with mental health issues, and most without a father. Four times as many men versus women commit suicide. 3.8 million lost manufacturing jobs have left men feeling like they have no purpose. And six million men are affected by depression annually, and it's often by, caused by job loss. Let me talk about our work status next. Seven million men have dropped out of the workforce who could actually work. 44% of unemployed men are using painkillers on a regular basis. So think about that number. Almost three million guys on painkillers because they're trying to deal with the emotion of losing their job. Working in with only a high school diploma saw their wages decline over the last 20 years. The median salary of full-time young women living in metropolitan areas on average is 8% more than men. More. And in some cities, it's as high as 21%. For example, female architects earn 14% more than men. In music, women are earning 10% more than men. The pay gap that you hear about is a statistical anomaly that's being not reported correctly. The data is shifting dramatically. They're not taking out women who, who retire for childbearing issues. When you normalize the data for that, women are excelling and they're going to blow past men in income and it's happening right now. The majority of workplace managers are now women and they're making more than the men. 
70% of young men over 25 are living at home compared to only 11% of women. Why is that a problem? Because those boys aren't making enough money to live on their own. This is, this is startling, this number. Inmates have increased 700% since 1972. And 93% of those inmates are men. And of course, they're not working. Guys, the work situation for men is not good in America. We're just not seeing this stuff, but it's happening all around us. We're living it. We're living it at Heart of a Man. I've been in Heart of a Man for four years, thousands of hours working with young men. I'm seeing this, but you're not. It's not being told to us. This is the real America we're in. The last slide talks about our spiritual status. 31% of men never go to church. Think about that. And only 39% of the people at church are men. And that number's dropping dramatically. 90% of boys abandon their faith by age 20 and often never come back. Only 28% of men find right and wrong from religion. Think about that. That means three quarters of the male population is not finding truth in religion. Only 35% of men believe there are absolute truths. Only a third of men believe there's absolute truths. And only 30% of men read the Bible once a week. Male spirituality is in freefall, gentlemen, and it's not good. This next slide is the sources of our daily. I highly recommend you read these books. I've read them all, spent a lot of time in them. They're very up to date. They're very new. Um, they're well written and they're not a political bias type book. So I hope you know that. And I hope you see that in everything I'm trying to tell you. I don't have a political bias. It's not why I'm presenting what I'm going to present. Hope you'll hear that. The crisis of masculinity is real and it's being felt. I've been working with men for 32 years in my manufacturing plants in faith, grant, faith programs at churches. That's all I've ever done is men's ministry at the churches I belonged in. And at heart of a man full time the last four years, I've watched these changes happen before my eyes. I believe one of the root causes of this crisis is the removal of our Heavenly Father and the removal of our earthly fathers from the American family and many of the key institutions that we depend on. I'm going to share a timeline of some of the geopolitical issues that have, that have caused much of these changes. It's not exhaustive. It's a snapshot to help you understand how quickly this has happened and how intense it is. And as you hear this information, think about how these events either removed God or removed fathers from our homes and our key institutions. In 1920, the 19th Amendment gave women the right to vote. That's a good thing. Except what the debate was at that time was men were representing their family when they voted. And so this was a dramatic shift of removing authority and accountability of a man for his family out of his hands and shifting it to the individual family members. A significant shift in a man's view of himself and how the world saw him in his family. This was not good for men. It was great for women. In 1932, the Great Depression forced many women into the workforce. Again, damaging the family. In 1942, World War II, again, forced many women back into the workforce at high levels and broke up families even more. These were significant damage to our family. We don't think about it, but the, all the wars we had did a ton of damage to our families. In the 1960s, GE began offshoring jobs to Mexico. When we talk about offshoring, everybody thinks it was China. It was GE moving to Mexico first. And that's when we started losing jobs that men needed. And these were jobs that were valuable that gave them identity. In 1962, the Supreme Court eliminated prayer from schools. You guys, you have no idea how tragic this decision was. This was a monumental schism in the morality of America. We ripped God and morality out of our schools. Our children's heads were no longer taught right from wrong when that used to be the backbone of the education system. And so what happened as a consequence of that? If you go look at the data, six times more violent crime than before, three times the divorce rate, five times the number of single moms, five times the level of teen pregnancy, a moral free fall after this Supreme Court decision. And the data goes on and on and on. I couldn't put it on here, pages of it, of what happened after we made that decision as a country. In 1969, no-fault divorce was ushered into California and it swept across our country. What was the problem with that? That gave men a license to walk out on their families with no repercussion. That was significant. In 1972, Title IX, 
Absolutely a great provision. No sexual discrimination in the education system. It was a good thing for women. The problem was the system shifted to become a female system and it's getting worse. It, you think it was bad. It, was, it wasn't bad then. It is getting so bad now that men can barely function in the educational system. It's not good. And this was the beginning of that. And it's good for women. So this isn't a bad thing. But the problem is it's been at the expense of men. In 1973, the Supreme Court passed Roe v. Wade. And again, sex with no consequences. No fault divorce. I can leave my family with no consequences. I can have sex now with no consequences. What does that do to a man? What does that do to our families? It's been absolutely terrible, you guys. And in, in, in that time, we've murdered 60 million of our children. In 1986, the Drug Abuse Act put men in jail for minor drug offenses. We had no idea what this was going to do to our country. 700,000 African-American men, inner city men, ripped out of their families in the jail system. The black family was destroyed by this act in the inner cities. And it was replaced with the welfare system. This has been devastating to America. In 1992, Mortal Kombat ushered in violent games right into the hands of young boys. In 1993, porn was launched on the internet right into the hands of young boys. In 2001, China entered the World Trade Organization, and from 2001 to 2010, 3.8 million manufacturing jobs were lost to China. And those were mostly jobs held by men who are now without a job and without an identity. This was a significant problem for America. In 2004 to 2007, cellular providers made it possible to get porn on cell phones. Think about the impact that's had, you guys. A $16 billion industry was launched. Huge rise in porn and porn addiction, which triggered a dramatic decline in marriage. In 2011, Supreme Court protected video games as free speech. Sounds innocent. It's terrible. The violent games like Call of Duty, combined with the mental health problems of boys without fathers, has created a keg of dynamite in our culture. 400 plus mass shootings a year, that's the combination, and we call it free speech. There's never been a more dramatic change in American masculinity than we have seen in the last six decades in America. And the change has been so fast that people don't even believe what you're telling them. The beliefs of people have not caught up with this reality. But there's never been a better time to be a Christian, to help redefine masculinity, because nobody has defined it yet in this culture. So I hope you will be encouraged today as we look at the scripture and see how Jesus would handle this crisis. We're going to look at John 17, the final prayer for Jesus, as our, as our source of truth and our direction in this, in this culture crisis. So let me tell you what was going on when Jesus did this prayer in John 17. And if you have your Bible, you can start moving in that direction because that's where I'm going is John 17. Jesus finished his Passover meal. He's hours away from being arrested, beaten, and tortured and not long, he's going to be dead hanging on a cross. And he's looking at his disciples and saying, this is the last time I'm going to see these guys. I'm not going to see them again on this side of eternity. And he's worried about them. He knows what they're getting ready to face. They left the upper room. They headed to the garden. And Jesus stood. Look at the beginning of this prayer. He stood and he looked up, eyes wide open. And his men were surrounding him and he prayed out loud. And he stood there so they could hear him. He was preaching as much as he was praying. And he, Jesus asked for what his men would need. Father in heaven, give my men what they need. Please, Father. He's talking to his father. Guys, the times then were so very dark. Some would argue even darker than they are now. They were living under Roman occupation. Torture and murder were often used instead of governance in a criminal justice system. The culture was highly materialistic. And it was consumed with sexuality. If you think we were, it was worse. Roman and Greek gods created the prominent spiritual landscape of hedonism. The governments were insanely corrupt, driven by the passions of these localized dictators. And the Jewish leaders were using a heavy burden of impossible laws to keep their people away from that culture. Yet those same leaders used that power for personal gain, comfort, and sinful behavior. The Jewish culture was falling apart. And Jesus could see it. Needless to say, 
if you think this prayer only applies to then, I think it applies to us now as well, very much so. So join me as we dig into our Bibles, guys. I'm going to look at John chapter 17. I'm going to look at this prayer. Have to, have to hear God's word, don't we, you guys? We've got to hear God speak. So if you hear nothing else today except me reading the word of God, it will be a great day, won't it? John 17, I'm going to start at verse 6. I revealed to you, to those whom you gave me, out of the world, they were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that, you have, that, that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they're yours. All I have, Father, is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I'll remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm, I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them, and I kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been, none has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may, be ha they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your, your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I am not. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. One of the key themes in this prayer, I had to pick, you know, there's so much context. And John said, Bill, you can teach as long as you want. I said, well, great, I'll take the whole four hours. Um, that's fantastic because that's what I need. And, uh, and Gilbert said, well, I'll stay the whole four. So I'm like, all right, what's what we're going to do? So I had to pick one theme. And I, for me, the theme I saw in there was the theme of unity. He prayed that they would be one, one with him, one with each other. And so I really got on my knees and said, Lord, what do you mean by unity? What do you want me to see? What is it that you want me to hear? And I could sense him saying unity with me, unity with the body and unity with their wives are what I want you to talk about. I said, all right, we'll look at those three to see how they're going to equip us for this crisis of masculinity. So that's what we'll do. First, Jesus wants his believers to be one with him and the Father. In John 17, 21, I'll repeat it again. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. Guys, I want you to first look at what's happening here. Jesus is standing in prayer. He's looking up, his eyes wide open. You don't always have to be on your knees curled up in a ball with your eyes closed. Think about Jesus. He's standing and he's looking up to the Father, wide open, eyes, and he's praying. And you know where he is today. He's at the right hand of the Father today. He's there now and he's praying for you just as he was then. When you pray to Jesus, that man, the most powerful man in the world, is next to the Father. Just as he did then, he's praying for you now. 
So you need him and you need to pray to him often. And sometimes with your eyes wide open looking up. You need Jesus working on your behalf. You often cannot see or fight the enemy that Jesus can. He can see what you cannot see and he can fight what you cannot fight. He has access to a vast army of angels that respond to his command in a minute. And he has power in his words that creates nations, that creates planets, that creates everything. Prayer is critical to the life of a man of God. Amen. How often are you accessing this immense power of Jesus? How often are you accessing the power of Jesus? Note also, Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to live in us, to unite us to him. In Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, it says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are in Christ's possession and God's possession to the praise of his glory. Jesus sent his own spirit to come inside, to live inside of you, immediately unifying you to Jesus and to God. But for that to happen, you must be born again. You have to be born again to receive the Spirit of God to bring you into unity with Jesus Christ and his Father. Jesus said that we are born again when we believe in him. In John 14, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Any man who wants to find his identity and his purpose will find it when he gives his life to Jesus Christ. I grew up without a father. I had no idea what to do with my life. Praise the Lord, brother. Lost, as lost could be. I lived the world's dreams. I did what I was told. I went to school. I got a good degree. I made a bunch of money, slept with lots of girls, and did lots of drugs. I did exactly what the world taught me. And then I found Jesus. And I realized I had a real purpose now. I was adopted as a son of the Father, and I had an inheritance that was eternal. Being a follower of Jesus also made it clear to me what I was to do with my life now. I wasn't lost any longer. It was clear to me what my calling was. Dear brother, if you're in this room and you feel lost and you have no idea what I'm talking about, then you need to come to Jesus now. Don't leave. If you feel that, now is the time to come. Today is the time to come. Now is the time to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Turn over your life to him now. This is the day. Don't leave without it. You are in a room of men that love you and care about you. And this is the place where you can turn your life to Jesus. What will keep you today from calling to Jesus to be your father? What's keeping you? What's holding you back right now? Jesus also left the written word to keep us connected to him, to be unified to him. In John 17, 8, he said, I gave them the words you gave me. Our Bible is the word. It's the written manifestation of Jesus from cover to cover. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Keeping His Word, this Word right here, this book. I just had it rebound. It's huge letters. It's this book, keeping this book. You hold this thing tight because it's Jesus. This is Him. He's here. He's in this book. Hold it tightly, and it opens the, the door. This opens the door for him to live inside of you. In John 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a, a man abides in me, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you'll bear nothing. Reading, meditating, memorizing, and doing the word is abiding in Jesus. The word of God is like gasoline when the Holy Spirit is in the soul of a man. You dump the word in and a fire lights up in your soul. Amen. Man, it just turns you on. It brings out wisdom and knowledge and insight and passion and direction. It becomes the fuel of your soul. In Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates. It divides soul and spirit. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. In John 17, Jesus said, we need to be sanctified. Sanctify them, Father. I had no idea what that stupid word meant. Like, what is this? Why do they use these dumb words, right? Here's what it means. Get the garbage out and replace it with incredible fruit. I've come to learn to love the word sanctified now. It's a churchy word, but I know what it means. But I didn't know what it means when I first read it. It means get the garbage out and put the good stuff in. That's sanctified. 
We can help the Holy Spirit sanctify us when we stop watching porn, turn off TV, turn off YouTube, turn off Instagram, and turn off TikTok and Facebook. Those things are not made by Jesus. They oppose Jesus. Those people hate Jesus, and they want to use that to rip you away from him. And those voices in that will affect your behavior. You know they do. They affect your behavior a lot. Your behaviors are controlled by what's in your mind. Paul said in Romans 12, Romans 12 too, you guys know it, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. The only thing that can transform your mind is what? God's word. The Center of Bible Engagement published a document entitled Understanding the Bible Engagement Challenge, Scientific Evidence for the Power of Four. They looked and studied to see how many times a man would need to study the Bible each week before it changed him. And what they found is one day, once a week, not so much. Two, not so much. Three, started to make a difference. But at four, holy cow, did the lights turn on. Look at this data. 30% drop in loneliness, 32% drop in anger, 40% drop in bitterness, 57% drop in alcoholism, 68% in drop in sex outside of marriage, 60% drop in feeling spiritually stagnant, 61% drop in viewing porn. And look at the upside. Sharing your faith increased by 200% and discipling others by 230%. The power of the word. Reading the word changes how we behave and it reunites us with God. Amen. Amen. Men need to hear God's words in numerous times, in numerous ways, all week long. Here's ways we do it. We go to church on Sunday. We go to church on Sunday. And we listen to the pastor and we sing with the people and we're around the body of Christ because it's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God is alive. Then we have group settings with men on the off days. We find a group of men that we spend time with and we study the word. We get in the Bible, we read it, we grind in it, we figure it out, we sort it out. And then when we're driving, when we're running, when we're walking, we're listening to the word in our ear pods. Christian radio, podcasts, books, we're hearing it. And the most important time is when you're alone. You're sitting at home and you're alone in the morning and you're reading your Bible. And here's what I would tell you. We, we created a heart of a man, a thing called the Deep Waters Journal to help you with that time. And we've got those with us. If you want to take one with you, we've got them in our car. We'll bring them out and give them to you guys. But this Deep Water Journal is meant to help you study God's word, two or three verses maximum. And in 30 minutes, get filled with the word of God, not from commentaries. Not from your pastor, but from God himself directly to you. You can study the word of God and hear him speak to you. And that is the sign of a man who's maturing in his walk with Christ. And you want that. You need to feed yourself with the word of God. The other place you can do it is teaching the word of God. When you've studied and you've read and you've learned, you should teach somebody. You should not let that day end without grabbing somebody. Make them a victim, right? You're going to listen to me, man. I'm going to tell you what I learned. Here I come, man. Jim Fountain, man. He's coming at you, right? He does it with humor. And one of the best teachers of the Bible is Jim because he uses his humor and he gets right into your soul. Teach somebody, your family, your friends, your coworkers, what you learned that day. Because when you teach it, you learn it and it stays in you at a whole different level. And lastly, singing his words whenever possible, guys. You should be singing God's words. You should be singing when you're walking. Not that garbage on the radio that you're listening to. God's words. Turn off all that other stuff and listen to God's words. Sing God's words because it embeds it in your soul in a way that's unique to music. And so here's my encouragement to you. Instead of having one hour every day of you time, and I know everybody has to have their you time, do one hour a day of word time. Word time. This will significantly change your worldview, your behaviors, emotions, and your feelings of being connected to God. So I'll challenge you. What playtime will you replace this week with word time so that you stay unified with your Heavenly Father? What will you give up to be with God? Jesus prays for us to be one with the body. Jesus prayed, I pray also for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Guys, as men, we live in isolation a good part of our day. I know you do. I'm with you guys all the time. I know what's going on. Isolation leads us to sin, which leads us to shame, which leads us to more isolation. And then on top of that, we have these issues from when we grew up. 
emotional issues with our family, whatever it is, with our wife, our, our family now, we have emotional issues and there are roadblocks to us. And when you put those together, our sinful behaviors and our emotional roadblocks, our ability to hear God is deeply, deeply affected by that. And how do I know that? I took 60 days off of work this summer. I started working when I was 16. I'm 61. It was the first time I didn't work in a summer. I took 60 days off. And by the end of that 60 days, it took almost the whole 60 for me to get here. I'm not good at relaxing. I get it. Um, I was sitting doing my Deep Waters Journal the last two weeks. And all I did was open a verse and started writing. And I was like, God's like, here's what I want you to hear. And it was like he was sitting next to me. And I sat there and said, I hear you, God. And you know, it was in, it was Genesis 18. And it said, Sarah laughed. And I said, I laugh. And he goes, yeah, you laugh at me all the time. You're proud. And it was like a dagger in my heart. But I heard him loud and clear. No filter. It was instant. And you know what I figured out? It was because I didn't have any anxiety. I had no anxiety. I had not felt a life without anxiety for 45 years. And I had no idea how much it was blocking my ability to hear God speak. Guys, the pathway to hearing God is built by clearing the rocks in the soil of your heart out. Jesus in Matthew 13 described why there was a soil that wasn't producing fruit. It wasn't the seed that was the problem. He was describing soil. And he said the soil is the condition of your heart. And we need other people in our life to help us clean up that soil in our heart. You can't do it alone. And Jesus told us why. He modeled it. He said, Lazarus, come out of that grave. And Lazarus waddled out. And then he said to his friends, take those grave clothes off of him. Why? He can't live in grave clothes. He couldn't take them off himself. That's what's going on with your emotions and your sin, guys. It's binding up your heart so bad that you just can't hear God. And he's telling the men around you, take off those clothes. Get them off of that guy. Free him up, man. Guys, we have to find a small group of men whom we trust. Because it's one of the best ways to uncover those issues that are obstructing you. You need other men looking at you and saying, I see it. I'm not picking on you. I'm not accusing you. I'm not attacking you. But I see it. I see it. And they tell you and you just go, oh my gosh, help me get rid of this. And we found you guys, please listen to this, that listening is way better than fixing. Please hear me. Listening is way better than fixing. Men move away from fixers because they feel judged. Instead, we need to actively listen and attune to the needs of the guy. We need to listen and process this soil of his heart so that the word of God can get in there. This is the funniest thing. I can't tell you how many read articles I've read about masculine crisis. Every single article I read always finished with suggestions. And there wasn't a single one that didn't end saying one of the best ways for building healthy men is by building healthy friendships with other men. Secular articles, one after another. Amazing. Jesus spent three years with 12 guys modeling small groups with men. And now secular psychology agrees. Wow. Let me ask you, who is helping you understand what is keeping you disconnected from God? Who's helping you? You need other men. We also highly recommend you join a local church. Paul said that God built the body so each member can help the other members mature. He's talking about the body of Christ, the church. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers. Why? To equip his people for works of service. So that what? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attuning to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. God built the local church to be a place that helps men feel loved and connected and helps us grow up. Guys, I know a lot of you guys had not had good church experiences. I know that. I know that. I've met so many guys. I've been sitting in your stuff. And I know church has been painful for some of you guys. Raped by a pastor. Raped by a, an elder. Abused. Verbally attacked. I understand. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But the church is God's solution. He gave us the church. He wants you in church. And not everybody's that way. Not everybody's that way. 
There are bad people in the church. It just happens. But that's not the whole church, you guys. So please don't throw the church out because of that. Please don't. Just trust me and know there are men at the church that will love you and care for you. There's nothing like walking to church on Sunday. Nothing like it. And you know at least four or five guys. I'm telling you guys, you walk in and, hey, it's Mike, it's John, it's Carl. And you just know each other. And you hug each other and you're like, I, don't, I just, I feel so good when I go to church. Guys, if you're lonely, please join a men's group at a local church. Please. That loneliness will end if you do that, I promise you. So let me ask you, what is keeping you from becoming an active member of a local church? What's holding you back? The third source of unity comes in this way, and this one's hard for people to understand, but I think it's the most important. Jesus wants us to be one with our wives. I would argue that marriage is the most overlooked unity in the Christian kingdom. Pastors have churches with widows, divorced, gay, and single people. And it's not unusual for someone to go bite the pastor after any mention of a traditional marriage. So it's not unusual for pastors to just simply avoid the topic. I guarantee you, that was hard for me. As I worked on this, I said, there's going to be guys in those categories they're going to come afterwards and they're going to say, you neglected me, you forgot about me, you didn't think about me. And I'm sorry, you guys, I don't mean if you're in those buckets, I don't mean to neglect you. But I just want to tell you, marriage has been neglected for 32 years and it needs to stop now. God made marriage the very first institution, the first one. Long before the church and before the fall, it was the first institution. It was the building block of civilization. It was his answer to the male crisis. Genesis 2, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. A male crisis before the fall. And God's answer was, I will make a helper suitable for him. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he'd taken out of the man, brought her to the man. The man said, "Woo! that is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woo man, for she was taken out of the man. <laughs> that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. The second unity in the Bible, us to God and us to who? Wife. A wife. In Matthew 19, Jesus says, 4,000 years later, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Nobody. This institution was built because it was not good for man to be alone. Before the fall, while God and man were walking in the garden together, God still said it wasn't good for him to be alone. God intends marriage to be his primary source of emotional stability for a man and a woman. Being alone, lonely, is an emotional state that God said is not good. When men are lonely, we often make our worst decisions. And you know we do. And when we feel that way and we make those bad decisions, the gap between us and God widens. How is loneliness impacting you today? Marriage was also God's primary means of spreading the gospel. One of our key roles. A man in crisis doesn't know his role. God said, I gave you a woman to have children and you're to evangelize them. That's one of your key roles. No loss of identity in that. The Bible is clear. We're to multiply and teach our children about God. In Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, Moses teaches us, These commandments that I give you today to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit and at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Guys, when we're serious about God's word, our kids are as well. Children mimic their parents. They watch them. God designed them that way. Your children are pagans that Jesus wants you to convert. Think about this, Abraham and Sarah, Joseph and Mary. What we often do is we pick them apart one at a time. Those two marriages were a vital part of the salvation of all mankind. Not picked apart as the individuals like we often do when we study the Bible. No, we've got to look at the marriage. God built those marriages to save the world as couples. Marriage matters to God. Who do you think has the primary responsibility to evangelize children. Marriage is also the greatest source of a man's sense of peace and stability. 
Secular psychology consistently shows married people have much better mental and physical outcomes and live longer than their single counterparts. And I can attest without question, my emotional stability is directly tied to my marriage to my wife, Susie. I cannot function anywhere close to the same level I, I have with her. She was gone three days this week at some oil painting thing and I felt lost. I, I was in the grocery store. Like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, I don't even know what to do. I'm like walking around like, where's the food, you know? And it's like, oh, I don't even know what to buy. I, I, I think I bought like barbecue chicken wings or something the first night. I'm like, this is garbage. Like, why am I eating this garbage? But I didn't know what to do. I was just lost. I, I can't function without my wife. We had to work on building stability in our marriage. It's taken a whole lifetime of marriage, and we've worked hard at that, but we've been committed to the, to the, to the marriage faithfulness that God told us to be committed to and to working through the hard stuff. And through that, God has brought us tremendous emotional stability. What is your source of emotional stability? Where do you look for your emotional stability? Through marriage, God reveals his intimate love for us through having children. A man who loves God discovers a love in his soul he never knew was possible before he had children. And guys, I know that the guys that don't have children or that are struggling to, I am sadly hurt by that. I know that hurts. And I'm so sorry for you guys. So please know we feel that wound. We do. But I got to tell you, this is real, all right? Don't, I don't want to water this down because of that pain, all right? When you have children, this love comes over you that's incredibly amazing. Now, I learned from my son, Kyle, that the first six months is pretty rough, and he didn't feel any of that until after the first six months. So watch out for that piece. I'm just saying. But after that, that love that you feel is insanely good, and it reveals to you how much God loves you. God loves, uh, gives us children so we can know how deep and how powerful his love is, and we can feel it inside of us. I grew up without a father. I don't know. I had never known what love felt like. I can tell you, I didn't know. When people would say, tell me, don't you feel the love of Jesus? I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't feel your love. I don't feel her love. I don't feel his love. I didn't feel my wife's love. I couldn't feel love. That's what happens when you're abandoned as a kid. It's just hard to attach to people, man. But let me tell you this. When my son Taylor was born, man, it swept me off my feet. I've never felt love like that. I've never felt anything like that in my soul. And I was weeping with joy. And I'm looking at my wife and I said, I feel, I feel loved. I feel love. Like, what is this? And she's like, that's the love of Jesus. I'm, this is it. She's like, this is it. And I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. And then he gave me the joy of doing it again with my son Kyle. And I got to feel this love. And I knew, I'm like, that's what Jesus feels for me. And it's like, oh my gosh. God gives us children so we know how much he loves us. And a man who feels loved by Jesus is not in a masculine crisis. A strong marriage is also the most effective means to creating healthy children. And healthy children, healthy boys are not in crisis. Children learn their emotions from how they feel. They, they feel and they act and they learn from those emotions. Their emotions are so real to them. Their behavior is reflected by their emotions. And you know whose emotions they get their feelings from? Yours is their dad. Dad, you have a huge impact on the emotional state of your children. Don't let people tell you it's just your wife. That's wrong. We have a tremendous impact on our children's emotions. When they see warmth and patience and kindness and compassion with their mother from you. Man, they just fall in love with you as their daddy. They can trust you. And the way you treat your wife is how you will treat your children. Trust me, you will. And listen to this, guys. Boys, boys are profoundly hurt when dads disappear. And that doesn't just mean physically. So many of us dads disappeared to our work to our job, to our career. And off we went, and we were emotionally just gone. And I sit with so many boys who are struggling with that, no different than the abandonment. I felt they feel it exactly the same way. A committed man, a man that's committed to his wife, who loves her deeply, will not disappear. He will not. He won't disappear physically, and he won't disappear emotionally. Your primary responsibility in your family is to your wife. Yes. 
The Bible says the two of you to be one. And when you get that right, your children will follow suit. The order goes like this. God first, your wife second, your children are third. That's unity. How is the way you treat your wife impacting your children? Your marriage is also the most effective way to give God full control of your sexuality. Sexuality puts most men into crisis. The marriage covenant requires you keep the promise of fidelity that you made at the altar. And God will give you self-control when you get on your knees and beg for it. And I'm telling you, that can be daily. And then that daily prayer of begging God, Lord, keep me faithful, man, because my eyes are all over the place. My heart's wandering. Oh, my gosh, it's so stinking hard. God, I remember being a young man driving in the car listening to Dr. Dobson, and I'm pounding on my steering wheel saying, God, why are you tormenting me in my bedroom looking at my naked wife and there can't be sex? This is crazy. It just tormented me. I was like, this is absolutely crazy. But when you beg God and you get on your knees and say, take this away, God, please, he does. And then it forces these hard conversations with your wife. And you go to her and say, I want to tell you what was going on with me today. And she's like, what? You're like, yeah. Yeah, that's what's going on. And you have some very tough conversations and prayer and begging and conversations with God. Those change you and you grow up sexually. The commitment to God, the, the, marriage, the, the marriage commitment, prayer to God, transforms your sexuality. And it puts it under God's authority. How have you allowed God to have control of your sexual needs? Your marriage also teaches humility and lowers your pride. The number one thing I have found that causes men problems with a crisis in identity is pride. We struggle with it. What is pride? Pride saying, I want what I want. I'm going to take it any way I can get it. I'm better than you and I'm not going to listen to you. That's what causes men most of their problems. My wife can see my selfishness and pride every single day. When I ask God for help with those sins, you know, for those sins, you know who he sends? Her. God, help me with my pride. Literally, I was praying that through Genesis over the summer. God, help me with my pride. And, and soon enough, I'm standing for my wife and she's talking about something. I'm like, that's my pride. And she's not saying a word. She's just, I'm like, that's my pride. He sent her. When you ask God for help with pride, he'll send your wife. I can watch my wife's countenance and I can see it fall and rise with my pride and selfishness. I don't even have to ask her a word. I can just see it in her face. My selfishness and pride will show up most in my marriage. If you want to get control of that and bring yourself out of a crisis, then you need to turn that over to God and let that help your marriage help with that. How often do you ask your wife how your pride and selfishness are affecting her or your family? Most people who do not want to get married often say, what they say between their mother and father was not good. What they saw when they watched mom and dad and they saw marriage, they said, I don't want any of that. You ask them, this is the number one thing we hear. Mom and dad's marriage stunk. I, there's no reason I'm going to go do that. People avoid marriage when marriage looks bad or hurts them. The average age when men get married obviously is rising rapidly and men are choosing not to marry. Get a load of this. The gay community gets a whole month from the media, schools, the politicians, and corporate America to tell us how great being gay is. When was the last time you heard anyone, anyone, talk about the beauty and the value of marriage of a man and a woman? Honestly, when was the last time? When was the last time? As parents, we tell our kids, especially our girls, how critical it is that they not become dependent on another person. We've gotten so bad at marriage that our children have believed that they must be experts at being self-sufficient. Yet God said, it's not good for man to be alone. We're selling a message that completely contradicts God. And we're creating a crisis for men. What message are, you ch are your children seeing and hearing about your marriage? I celebrated 35 years of marriage on last Sunday, September 10th. Yes, I made it. My wife made a video going back before we were even married, all the way to up to the recent time. And I was, she played it at our, we had a big dinner and she played this video. And 
I just kind of froze because I don't do the past well. I don't know if any of you guys were abandoned, but guys like me that are abandoned, we just don't live in the past. We always think about the future because the past hurt. And so when you go in the past, we just don't do it. Don't pictures, don't write. We just don't live there. So it's hard to journal. It's hard to do that. So it was hard for me. And then Susie played this video and it froze me. Taylor was sitting there. He's like, what? You know, he's like, you could see I was frozen. I was, I, I, I was in shock. I got to see the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. I could spend another hour. I wish I could have another hour to talk to you about marriage. I never dreamed God would give me my wife, Susie, my sons, their wives, and our grandchildren. My marriage has been the most beautiful unity I've ever experienced in my life. 32 years ago, I became a promise keeper, along with some of you guys. A promise keeper is committed to building a strong marriage. That was one of the core seven marriages, and I made that promise. 1992, Folsom Field, I made that promise. And that was the hallmark of a Christian man at that time. Man, I was thrilled that I knew this. I had identity. I had a purpose. I knew what God was calling to do. And it was something I deeply desired. I wanted to be a good husband. And I still do now. Man, I love my wife so much, you guys. If you could see the impact she's had on my life, you'd understand why. My marriage has been critical in raising my sons well. My marriage brought me to Jesus and has kept me united with him. My marriage has created love and boundaries that God has faithfully honored to protect me, and to help me flourish. In Genesis 3, the devil attacked Eve as Adam stood by, so disappointed in him. And that attack was assault on their marriage, and it worked. The devil intentionally damaged their relationship with God and with each other. And the devil keeps running that same stinking play right now because it works. Man, we've got to stop listening to the world. They follow the devil. Marriage to your wife is what God designed. It was the second unity that he created. He knows marriage will keep us close to him. All these other choices that people are trying to sell you are wrong, and they pull you away from God. We need to rise up. This group of men needs to rise up and take back our marriages. We need to confidently share their vital role in unifying us to each other and to God. And we need to be excited about marriage and help our young people see its incredible value. Marriage is critical in helping young men not have a crisis of masculinity. It was God's plan from the beginning. How often do you teach young people the importance and the beauty of marriage as a Christian man? As you think about these vital relationships that Jesus prays for, listen to this quote from the toxic war on masculinity, how Christianity reconciles the sexes by Nancy Piercy. And when fathers detach from their families, they create an ongoing cycle of alienated sons. As psychiatrist Frank Pittman writes, when fathers leave mothers with the majority of the child rearing, then boys can't imagine that their masculinity is sufficient until they too run away from women. These boys will tend to think the world of men is not with the family at home. It is out there somewhere. And they'll reach, they'll search restlessly, sometimes for years, for that elusive place that will validate their male identity. But if our fathers accept us, Pittman says, then that, then that declares us masculine enough to join the company of men by assuring their sons that they are valued and worthy fathers implicitly relieve them of the pressure to prove that they are masculine enough. Pressure that can lead them to act in aggressive and misogynist ways. Listen to this. This is the, the, just the jewel of this whole thing. A biblical view of manhood focuses not on escape, but on community, unity. And because humans are created in the image of the Trinity, the implication is that they are hardwired for community, for bonding and attachment. The moral requirements that, re that relationships make on us are not impositions on our freedom, but expressions of our true nature. Both men and women are most fulfilled in the context of deep, enduring relationships. Jesus prayed for us to be united in these life-giving relationships, these vital relationships of a man with God, 
with the body of Christ and with his wife are the critical elements of a corporate system built by God. And this system of relationships cannot be broken into pieces. They all must work together in unity with each other. When they do, men thrive. Let me finish with these practical steps to help you live out this prayer of Jesus. Make God's word the most prominent voice in your head every day. Turn off the other stuff and at the very least, turn it off on Sunday. Trade at least one hour of playtime every day for word time. Learn to use the Deep Waters Journal that we talked about. We'll have them here to help you with. Join a local church with a small group of men that can help you work through the root causes of your emotional issues and your sinful behavior that block you from hearing God's word when you study. And here's a new one. And this is really important, you guys. Help at least one young man by consistently spending time with him inside your homes and as part of you and your family. Guys, I can't tell you how many young men feel abandoned by their fathers. I can't feel them all. I work tirelessly day in and day out, seven days a week, trying to feel these guys. There's too many. I need your help. Please take a young guy into your life. He needs you. They need you. Now is the time to rise up. Passionately pursue your marriage for far, far more than any of your hobbies. Seriously, guys, put the guns down, put the boats away, put your golf clubs in the stinking closet, get your career parked, and start paying attention to your marriage. Pursue her more than any of those. More, way more. And make your marriage so stinking good that your children will desire being married and want others to be married as well. And lastly, stand up with your eyes wide open and look to God. Look to Jesus when you need help, which is going to be often, and say, Jesus, help me. Help me, God. Learn to pray like a man. Men of God, we do not have a masculinity crisis. Our focus is not on men. Our focus is on being disciples of Jesus. And we thrive in this world because we're focused on being united to God, to the body, and to our wife. Men of God are not in crisis. We're in Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. Father God, be with us now in this time. We need you, Jesus, so bad. Love us, hold us, be with us, Lord. Come to us, unite us to each other, to you and to our wives, Lord. Help us love each other well and love you, Father. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, guys.